Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everybody. This is episode 18 of the show about the show. Very, very excited today. I will be cranking out the podcast as far, as long as your little ears can listen. So the first episode that we are going to do today is with former Major League pitcher Scott Sanders. Scott was a journeyman for most of his career. He played for four different teams in a six- or seven-year period. We're going to talk about that we're going to talk about what it's like playing in the majors as well as um, having to move to from one team to another, what he's been up to since leaving the game, as well as what it's like playing over in Japan. He was uh, he played for Nippon over in the Japan League, so we're going to talk to him about that as well. As always, every episode of the show about the show is dedicated to to the memory of my dad who taught me to love the game of baseball. You can find me on Twitter, Devlin under slash Clark 84, Devlin under slash Clark 84. Please also go on iTunes and leave me a five-star review for this episode and you will be entered to win a signed baseball. Just tweet me a photo of it or send me a picture on Facebook or message me that you left a five-star review for our program on Facebook or I'm sorry on iTunes and you will be entered to win a signed baseball so without any further ado I am pleased to have on former major league baseball pitcher Scott Sanders Scott how you doing today Uh, doing great thanks for having me how are you I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So let's talk about the. Let's talk a little bit about growing up. Um, kind of where you're from, how you how you got involved in baseball, and then when you kind of knew that you might have a shot to make it professionally. Well, I was born in Hannibal, Missouri, uh, which is the home of Mark Twain, and about two hours north of St. Louis. That's uh, where my father was at the time was coaching high school basketball. Um, but, but my father and my mother both went to Nickel State in Thibodeau, Louisiana, where I reside now. And uh, so when I was about 18 months old, my father and my mom and my sister, my older sister Jennifer, we all moved back to Thibodeau, Louisiana, because um, my father was coming to coach basketball at Nickel State, where he went to school and played basketball and baseball. And uh, so I grew up here in Thibodeau, started playing baseball at the age of five, you know, like baseball, but I really love basketball. You know, my dad was a basketball coach, like I said, so basketball was my passion. I played baseball, you know, in the meantime, because I like uh, when basketball season was in, I played basketball, and then when it was over, I played baseball until basketball season came. But my heart was really with basketball. But baseball always came very easy to me. I was a natural baseball player, so I really always enjoyed the game, but it wasn't really my passion. And then, you know, I went on to high school and, and – um I, uh, I, I still basketball is my favorite sport. You know, I, I, I always dreamed of playing basketball and baseball at Nickel State because that's what my father did. And he was my he was my hero growing up. He was my role model. He was you know he's the person I looked up to. And uh, when it sure. came time to choose, 
when it came time to choose for college, you know, the basketball coach offered me a half a scholarship and the baseball coach offered me a half a scholarship, and I had to pick one. Um, and luckily at the time, Mike Knight, who was the baseball coach, I, I'd been knowing him since I was probably 10 years old. I was his back boy for probably five or six years and went to camp, and I'd known him well. And he called me in one day to his office, and he said, Scott, you know, I know you love basketball, you know, but uh, but he said, I think if you really put your heart and soul on the baseball, one day you can make some money at it. And at the time, I played shortstop. You know, I hit, I pitched, you know, and then so I was like, man, you know what, I'll give that a shot. It was hard for me to give up baseball, but my dad had retired from coaching basketball about three years earlier. So that kind of easy, easy, easy made the burden easier to go to Nichols and play both because I think if he'd have coached, I'd have definitely went to play basketball for him and played baseball, you know, during the spring. Uh, but uh, the basketball program was a little bit down at the time. Baseball program was always really good. So I like to win. Unfortunately, it's, it's, a, it's a good and bad trait to have, but I love to win. So I chose baseball. Sure. One reason, main one reason is because they win, you know, and I wanted to go to regionals and do all that stuff. So, so I chose baseball. And then when I got there, he's like, Scott, you know, we talked about coming here, you know, and just focus on baseball. He says, I really think you need to just focus on pitching, give up shortstop and give up hitting, because if you do that, it can be the same as playing basketball. So, once again, I wasn't too excited, but I trusted him. I said, sure. So I gave up. And so I basically, that's when I became a full-time pitcher. And, you know, I, honestly, I played my first two years. I was redshirted my first year, which they do to almost everybody at Nichols. And my, my redshirt freshman year, I had a good year. I went 6-1. and one. I had a good ERA. And then that summer, I went away to play in Red Oak, Iowa, which is the Jayhawk League for summer ball. And uh, for the first time, I touched 90 miles an hour, you know, and all of a sudden there were scouts every time I pitched. So it was kind of interesting. So, so all of a sudden it really clicked like, okay, now I got a shot. And, you know, my, then I came back to Nichols for my richer sophomore year. And by the time I pitched once in the fall at LSU, and I think I topped out at like 93, 94. And after that, I never pitched in front of another, I never pitched again without a scout, you know, at the, in, in the stands. And, you know, luckily I was blessed and ended up going in the 32nd pick of the first round in 1990, but picked by the San Diego Padres. I, honestly, Kevin Towers, uh, one of my good friends just passed away of cancer uh, not uh, about four weeks ago. He was my area scout. He signed me, and uh, I was his first big league he ever had. So that's how the, that's how the story of Scott Sanders began. Absolutely. And you talk about, you know, pitching going from, you know, baseball not even being your favorite sport or the sport, I guess, you said that you're passionate about to, to kind of being talked into be trying out for the team and then making it and whatnot. Can you talk about what it's like when you're in high school to have that kind of, or high school or college, have that kind of talent and then have scouts coming after you? I mean, that's got to be a pretty, pretty fun, but also stressful process. Yeah, it is. You know, the one thing though, I was always a very confident kid, you know, um, and I always tell people that there's always a fine line between confident and cockiness. You know, I don't really like cockiness, but I love confidence. I love kids who are confident. But I always believed in myself. I always knew when I walked on a basketball court or walked on a baseball field, or even if I'm walking in to take a test, that I was going to be as good as I can be. I was going to be the one of the best in that. In that and whatever I was doing, I always felt like I was going to be one of the best. So, so for me, it wasn't a hard transition because I liked the spotlight. I liked, I mean, honestly, I love to, I love to go out and dominate and give my team a chance to win and help my team win. You know what I mean? I, that was, that's what I thrived on. That's what made me, that was like my adrenaline, you know, that's what made me want to go out and work hard to do it again, you know, the next time I could do it. But, you know, but you, when I went from, when I went from, you know, so I grew up in a, in a kind of a small town, you know, but in the small town, 
you know, every small town has a couple guys who are always, you know, a little bit, they excel in sports. So, you know, I, I was used to seeing my name in the papers. I was used to, you know, seeing stuff like that. I was on, you know, my dad was on, his team was on, you know, TV here and there. So I was used to, I was used to being around a lot of media and a lot of stuff. So I was never, never really overwhelmed, you know, by a lot of things. Um, you know, but, but, right. but, but it was more, more exciting. I mean, so, you know, when I went from high school, you know, only Nickel State is the only one that really wanted me. A couple other schools talked to me, but they really thought I was going to go play basketball because everybody knew my dad's a basketball coach. I love basketball. So baseball teams didn't really, they didn't really, they really even offer me, you know, because they said this guy's going to play basketball and whether he plays basketball, he's just going to play baseball there also, you know, so, so I had really, um, you know, so, so from that standpoint, when I got to Nichols and all of a sudden, Everything just started getting bigger and bigger. Honestly, it made me bigger. It made me stronger. It made me even more of a wanted more and more and more. So I took it and really used it as a positive, and just made myself better. And I worked harder. And I ran farther. And I ran harder. And I I lifted heavier, you know. And I threw more. And I just I did everything I can do to make sure that I didn't look back and say, "Man, I wish I'd have done this." Because if I would have, maybe this would have happened. And that's that's what I really learned from the experience. Do you remember a specific moment being at Nichols and you know you're in the you're in the you're into the game and you notice a scout and you said that you know when you notice a scout it it made you better it made you kind of rear back and get a few more you know miles an hour and try try a little bit harder and kind of amp you up do you do you have a specific moment that you can remember you know, maybe in the middle of a game looking over and seeing a scout and then, you know, digging down a little deeper? Well, honestly, believe it or not, it's kind of weird, but when I get locked into a game, I would really notice nothing besides my catcher, you know what I mean? And sometimes I wouldn't even notice, you know, uh, and, and we can get to that later. But, but when, I, when I would notice the scouts would be before the game. So when I'd warm up in the bullpen, <clears throat> the scouts would always come down and stand behind me and watch my, watch my bullpen, you know, watch my, watch my pregame. You know, because a lot of scouts, they like to see the bullpen because the bullpens are just as important because sometimes you have better stuff in the bullpen than you do in the game and vice versa. So sure. that's when I would yeah. mainly notice. And, you know, I, I wouldn't turn around and count, but I could, you could feel the presence. You can feel it. You know, sometimes there'd be as many 30, 30 guys here to see me. You know, sometimes it'd be two or three. But but that's the time mainly when I'd know, like, okay, when I'd, so when I'd sit there and I could feel those guys breathing down my neck, and I, and that, that's when I knew I said, okay, it's go time. You know, it's time. It's time. It's show time. You know, it's time to, to put your A game on, Scott go out there and show these guys what, what we, you know, go out and debut, show them what you have, you know, so hopefully one of these guys, one of these days will pick you. Absolutely. You talk about uh, Kevin Towers being your area stone. Obviously it was a huge loss for baseball. Everybody, everybody who's a, who follows the game closely knows, knows the impact that, that Kevin Towers had. Can you walk through the, can you walk us through the process of, of getting the call to, that you were drafted and then what, where were you, what was your reaction, all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Well, 1990, I had it, like I said, it was a ton of, had a ton of guys on me. And, um, but Kevin Towers was the one guy who got to know me the best. We'd talk on the phone, you know, he'd call me after some outings and we'd talk because Kevin was a pitcher, you know, so obviously, you know, me being a pitcher, him being a pitcher, we had a ton to talk about, but he was an incredible, incredible scout with a great eye for talent and not only pitchers, but hitters and just, but he got to know guys, he got to know you, but you know, there's a lot of guys that are really good talent, but they don't always have the intangibles to go with the talent. But Kevin always got down to the deeper, deeper root of guys and found out what, what was their, what were their insides about? You know, what, what was their heart about? What was their gut about? You know, when, when times are tough, are you going to fold? Are you going to, you know, you're going to get stronger, you know, and that's what he did with me. You know, he'd call me, we'd talk on the phone. I'd say 
once a week, you know, on, on average, probably sometimes twice a week, but sometimes we may miss a week here and there, but, but, you know, and so I, we, we had talked a ton on the phone, but you know, when draft day came, now this was back in 1990, they didn't have it on TV and they didn't have it on the internet and they didn't have it all that stuff. So, so I was actually at my house in Thibodeau, Louisiana, um, had a bunch of a handful of friends and family over and then, and, and I got the, and I got the call. I talked to Kevin, you know, and he, he called me, he called me, my nickname is Sandman. He's like, Sandman, I got you 32nd pick baby first round, you know, and obviously he was, he was, it was his first year scouting. You know what I mean? It was his first year as a scout and he got two first round picks for the Padres just shows you the talent he has. So his first year scouting, some guys scout for 12, 13, 14 years before they ever get one first rounder. He got two first rounders in the first year that he ever, he ever worked as an area scout. That just shows you. That's why his, how his career took off and never looked back. Because he was one of the best. He's the, one of the best of the best. Absolutely, absolutely. What was it like getting that that call? And who'd you tell? And well, I, actually, I went to my mom and dad's the back of the bedroom, and my mom and dad I was in my mom and dad's bedroom when they called. When he called, um, and then when I walked out, obviously I, I was elated. You know, I mean, I was walking on water and. He was so excited because once you know you go a kid from Tibble, Louisiana at the time it's a very small town nobody from here had ever made the big leagues or even got dressed, you know really played professional baseball so number one I was honored uh, you know it was, I was I was kind of you know had chills and and just excited and I, I probably wanted to cry but I don't think I did but then I you know I came out and told my mom my dad my family my friends you know I had some media guys there some some, some newspaper guys were there. And uh, it's just, you know, it's one of those days that you look back and it's a, it's a day in life you're never going to ever forget. Absolutely. So you get signed with San Diego and the Padres. You, made, you, you end up debuting in 1993. Tell me about August 6, 1993. Yeah, yeah so that's what I was telling you earlier. So, <clears throat> so, so at August 6, 1993, uh, Tony Gwynn was going for his 2000th hit. Oh, well, the, the the day prior, um, which was obviously August 5th, I was in Tacoma, uh, Washington, and I was supposed to pitch against the Tacoma Rainiers on on the, on the 5th. And I still remember I was it was about maybe 11:30 in the morning, and was, it was back when you no cell phone. So my hotel phone rang, and I picked it up, and and uh, Randy Smith, who was the general manager at the time for the Padres, who was the scouting director uh, when I signed. So it was Kevin Towers was my area scout and Randy Smith was the scouting director and uh Randy says he says hey Scott I, I got some bad news I'm like okay he's like uh, you're not pitching tonight I'm like oh okay I said what did I do wrong he said you did nothing wrong you're gonna pitch tomorrow in San Diego against the Rockies and wow when I tell you I think I jumped up and hit my head on the ceiling but I'm not sure but, but I was so excited I, I was kind of dumbfounded yeah. I was like oh okay he said what do you think about that I said I'm 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 excited and I'm ready. Okay, good. He said, don't. He said, pack your stuff. He said there'll be a car. You know, we'll get your car. Get you. We'll get you down here to San Diego tonight. So I got in a, got in a taxi, flew down to San Diego. He put me up in the hotel, and then so I show up on the park on, on the fifth. And Tony Gwynn has 1,999 hits, and um, and it's a doubleheader. So I'm pitching the second game of a doubleheader. Andy Bennis pitched game one. He was the ace of the, t- of the staff. He had game one. Yep. So game one, I, I watched on TV because I wasn't officially on the roster yet. So after game one, they took somebody off the roster and added me to pitch the back end of a double header. And so, um, sure. so I watched game one, and Tony Gwynn goes like 0 for 3 with a walk. So he's still sitting on 199. So I start the second game against the Rockies. I still remember my first guy was Eric Young. I got in the 3-2 count. I threw him a slider and walked him. I was nervous the first batter. The first batter was, had little jitters. 
But once I walked him, I was fine. I was settled in. We ended up scoring like five runs in the in the in the um the bottom of the first. They get me a lead. I think I went six to one or something like that. I went I went five and two thirds or almost right at six innings. I want to say I pitched. Was, I, I mean honestly, for my rookie debut, I was tickled pink. But the, the irony to the story. So Tony Gwynn also got his two thousand hit in that game, but and it was also beach towel night. So when I walked off the field after you know I got done when 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 uh, Jim Riggleman took me out, you know I looked up and tipped my hat to the, to the stands. And I looked up, and it was literally a sea of towels just waving, waving, waving. So I was like, wow, <laughs> this is awesome. So after right. the game, we, uh, we we go out to eat. My mom, my dad's there, my family's there. And uh, I was, I, when we sat down to eat, you know, we started ordering some food. And like I said, man, they had a lot of people there tonight. And they were like, my dad was like, yeah, I think they had was like fifty two or 54,000 people. I was like, no way. I was like, yeah, didn't you notice? I said, no. I said, I didn't notice. I said, I never noticed who did it, that anybody was even, even was in the crowd until I walked off, you know what I mean? And, 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 I, and I tipped my cap. I said, besides that, I didn't really hear the crowd. I didn't see the crowd. I had no clue that there was over 50,000 people there. But that just goes to show you how when you get on that mound, you get locked in, and, you know, it's just literally you and your catcher. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, you know, that Rockies, those Rockies teams back then, I mean, they had Larry Walker, Andres Galarraga, Dante Bichette. Those teams were pretty, those teams were pretty loaded. Oh, yeah. So to go in there and pitch well, that, you know, that must have given you a lot of confidence. Yeah, it did. Honestly, they, they were loaded. They were a big time monster, uh, offensive juggernaut back then. You know what I mean? Um, and luckily, thank goodness that first start was against them in San Diego, not, not Colorado, because that had been rough. <laughs> That'd be a rough, but uh, but yeah, I was I was very blessed. I was like that year. That year was '93. I, I was the first rookie pitcher to win their debut. Like for it had been over it had been over ten years since a rookie pitcher at, in San Diego had won their, their their rookie debut. So I was so excited and so blessed. So you end up playing for the Padres on, through the '96 season. You go to Seattle in '97. What do you remember about being a Mariner? Well, it's okay. So it's funny. So Kevin Towers, once again, the guy who drafted me, he's calls me one day. He's like, Sandman, I got some bad news. I'm like, okay, go ahead. He's like, I just traded you to Seattle for Sterling Hitchcock. I'm like, oh, KKT, because I mean, literally, I just got settled in San Diego. I had my best year of my career in 96, you know, pitched, pitched the Padres from, we were, we were so sore at the all-star break and I came back, I, I had a, you know, and I came back and I pitched him. I pitched all the way, pitched us to the playoffs. I had a, had, like I said, had to, had my best year of my career. Started game one of the playoffs, um, and, and then got traded. But he, we we were really right-handed dominant, so he needed a left-handed pitcher to kind of settle all the. It was myself, Andy Ashby, Joey Hamilton, Tim Morrell. You know, we had we had, we were literally we had five right-handed started pitchers. So he got Hitchcock right. to kind of kind of you know you know get get some lefty lefty matchups in there. And so I went to Seattle, and honestly, it's probably one of the worst worst moves for my life uh, for my career because. You know, back then they had two baseballs. They had American League Baseball and a National League Baseball. The National League Baseball had a little bit higher seams, was better for a pitcher. The American League Baseball had a little bit smaller seams and tighter seams because, you know, back in the day the National League was always better than the American League. So they made the baseball in the American League a little bit more offensive, you know, um, offensive-minded. So it, so it was harder to throw breaking balls. Sure. You know, it's ball, you know, so – so that's so I I really struggled with that smaller ball and actually that's the ball now the major leagues is that American League ball, but so I you know it took me a little bit so I kind of lost my slider my slider was my pitch that was my you know that was my go to, and I lost it so I, sure. I really struggled in Seattle you know I uh, I busted my tail I started I started the season as the number two starter uh, only because um, uh, Randy Johnson was hurt at the beginning so 
I took, uh, or it might have been Jeff Asura, one of the lefties. Then they had, Seattle had all lefties. They had four lefties in the rotation. That's why they wanted me to go there to kind of balance out the righty lefties. And um, so I started, I was supposed to be the number three starter. I got bumped up to number two and got my head handed to me by the Yankees in my debut. And um, didn't really get off to a good start. I started about four or five games and then they needed help in the bullpen. They put me in the bullpen. And then in July, uh, July of that year, Randy Smith, who was my GM back in San Diego, <clears throat> traded me, traded for me. He sent he sent uh, two starting pitchers to Seattle for me, to, and I went to Detroit. And then I, I didn't do too well in Detroit as well. Uh, once again, you know, American League. And then luckily, in 1998, uh, 1997, I started the same thing. I started I started the year. I had a couple starts in Detroit. They put me in the bullpen, <clears throat> and then. Um, there was a little struggle in the front office between Buddy Bell and Randy Smith. You know, Randy Smith had a lot of his guys on the roster. Buddy Bell was the manager, and he kind of really wanted to show, you know, he wanted more of his guys. So I was Randy Smith's guy. I mean, like I said, he drafted him. He was my, he was my, you know, he was the guy that, he was the scouting director who drafted me in San Diego. He's a GM who called me up to the big league. So I was kind of looked at as his guy, you know. So with a little power sure. struggle, uh, Buddy Bell won out, and they traded me back to San Diego. Which in, and at the time is a uh, I, is a, I'm I'm so glad that Buddy Bell had that power struggle with Randy Smith because it's the best thing that ever happened to him. I went back to San Diego. I went to Vegas to get back in shape because I hadn't pitched much. I sat almost two weeks between when I got when I got designated for assignment and actually got the pitch. So I went to Vegas. Uh, was actually going to get called up. I was in New Orleans back home uh, playing against the Zephyrs, but I was in I was with the Las Vegas at the time, the Stars. And um, they told me, they said, Scott, you're pitching tonight. You got one inning, maybe two, and then you're flying out tomorrow to meet the team in Seattle, which was kind of ironic. So I, I, I come up, I throw an inning, I come up to bat, and I bunt. I bunt the ball straight at home plate. And typical of me, I should have jogged down the line and just got a double play, but instead I tried to beat it out, and I popped my, my quad. So so I go from being mm-hmm. called up and flying out tomorrow morning to basically about six weeks of rehab on my quad. And um, so that was kind of a bummer. But – that's that's me. That's who I am. That's how I play the game. You know, most guys would have just jogged, got tagged out, double play. Who cares? Just triple A baseball. You know what I mean? But that's not my mentality. I know one way is hard. Play hard for your team because if you play hard for your team, you get your manager, your coach, your, your players, your teammates can respect you. You know. And so I run down. I get two steps from it, and I mean, it's like I got you know, like a gunshot in my leg, and just so I worked my butt off with a George Poulos, who's actually he's a big league trainer now. We worked for six weeks and. Three day, three a day treatments, you know, and All Star break of '98. Uh, I got called back up to San Diego, so so then, and that's when we made that magical run, and we went on, you know, to uh, win the National League West, win the National League, and also, you know, we lost to the Yankees in the World Series. But honestly, like I said, it was one of the best moves ever ever happened to me when I got traded back to San Diego in '98. Absolutely. We got uh we got a little over seven minutes left. Were you on that uh, ninety eight postseason roster for the Padres? Unfortunately, I was not because what happened was we um you know they go they go they they go from th- five starters to three and um yeah. and it, it was kind of a it was kind of a so so situation. I really could I could really could have helped them. Especially uh, the Astros. I've always I always had I've always owned the Astros because the Astros are really right hand dominant. But uh, Mark Langston at the time had never been on the postseason roster. He played 18 years and never been a, never been to the playoffs. So they put him on the roster, and we had a couple of other guys who were kind of high high salary guys who probably, you know, looking back wouldn't have been on the roster. But but sometimes baseball you have to do it. You know, guys making five million bucks, you can't take him off off the yeah. roster. You know what I mean? So so I kind of got sure. caught up in a little bit yeah. of that. But honestly, 
it is what it is. Would I have loved to have played in the big in, in, in pitch in the World Series? I would have, but honestly, I was there for every pitch. You know what I mean? I was with the team. I did everything. I just didn't. I just didn't get to step on that mound. But you know, I'd already started Game One of a playoff, so that, honestly, I'd already reached a, a goal in my life that I didn't know if I'd ever. ever you know, any any time you get to start, get a chance to start Game One of any playoff series, it's you know. I, I, so I, don't, I look back and I know everything in life happens for a reason. You know, and I, and I know uh, that that uh, I was so blessed. So, you know, you played in the majors for just about six or seven years. How, do you, how much fan mail do you still get? Um, I still get a good bit, believe it or not. I don't know how they do it, but everywhere I'm, I, I move and I move and I move, and everywhere I move somewhere, somehow somebody still finds my new address. But I get a decent amount, you know, here and there. I, I don't get as much because, honestly, sometimes I see so many people – you know, I sign cards, and now, you know, with eBay, I see a lot of people. I, I love to sign cards for people who want to sign to collect them. I really don't I really don't like signing cards for somebody to sign up for them and turn around and sell them. You know, um, you know I'm not I, – I, I, give, I give out autographs for, 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 for reasons for kids and for uh, – you can be – you can sure. be 100 years old or two years old, but I like I like the people who want to collect to do it for collection, not for not to get to sell. And, it, and it's got to be kind of a dirty business, you know what I mean? So I know a lot of guys and a lot of my teammates – they don't sign fan mail that much anymore, which kind of bums me out. You know what I mean, and bums them out. But at the end of the day, when you when you click on eBay and you're like, wow, I, you know, you see thousands upon thousands upon thousands of cards that you know right. that those are the same cards that somebody just mailed you, and they, they they give you this letter of how they're such a big fan of yours, and I, you know, I, I, I collect your cards, you know, I me, mean, blah blah blah, and it's a big song, it's a big song and dance, you know. So, so I, I, I sometimes believe it or not, I pick and choose when I do send stuff back and when I don't. But what I do, and when I they have a a guy who um, on Facebook, Tim Tim, he has a uh, signature for soldiers. So a lot of times I collect cards for him, and I send them to him, you know. And he, he turns around and he sells them, but he gives the money to to uh, disabled veterans and helps them out, you know. So I, I try to take it and and use it towards a you know uh, towards a, to a good cause. Absolutely, and and listeners of this podcast are familiar with Tim. You can find him on Facebook. Like Scott mentioned, he is also on Twitter at SIGS, S-I-G-S, the number four soldiers. Please go ahead and please go ahead and buy cards from him. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, my, I lost my dad recently, and he was a disabled Army vet, and a lot of the yeah. money raised that Tim does goes to help disabled military veterans. It's a 501C, so it's totally nonprofit. So make sure that uh, you're going to support them. Let's talk real, real quick about we got about three minutes left, Scott. Let's talk about what you've been up to since leaving Major League Baseball. Well, I tell you what, now, now I'm a, uh, I'm a full time dad, and uh, I have I have four kids. Uh, my oldest boy, Scotty, he plays. Uh, he's a first baseman at Southeastern Louisiana. Uh, he plays on the baseball team there. My second son, Cameron Sanders, he got drafted last year by the Padres and decided he was at junior college and decided to go to LSU. To, to pitch, so he's at LSU this year pitching. Uh, my daughter, uh, Lindsay, she plays uh, first base at Coastal Alabama Baymanette, which is a junior college right at, right above Mobile, Alabama. And then my little guy, Jaden, he's a freshman uh, in high school, and he plays baseball and he also plays uh, club volleyball. So my kids keep me busy. Uh, they, they, uh, myself and my fiance Renelle and, and her daughter Skylar, seems like we always in the car going some direction. To watch somebody play you know and uh but but you know honestly yeah, we love every minute of it you know um Skyler's going to graduate this year from high school and and it's going to probably go on to go on to school at ULL University of Lafayette 
so next year we'll have her in Lafayette and she doesn't play sports, but she stays busy and she's very active and does a lot of great things. And so we'll, we'll that'll, that'll give us another direction to go. So we, we definitely, myself and Renee really have a lot. We, we, we don't have any down days, put it that way, but we try to get as many, we try to get as many down days as we can and just lay low, but not easy to do. But, and honestly today I'm, we're about to get in the car. Scotty's playing against Cameron Southeastern is playing LSU today at Alex Box stadium in Baton Rouge. So it's going to be a big day for us and a, it's a fun day for the family. And, uh, Looking forward to that. Absolutely, we had about two minutes left. Give me, give me a a, a very quick thought on your uh, experience playing in Japan. Oh, Japan was awesome. You know, uh, it's kind of weird because the guys over there are not as big, not as strong as American. You know, as a as a, as baseball here in America. You know, obviously here we have Dominicans and Venezuelans and blah 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 and all that stuff. You know, Japan Japanese come over, but over there you can only have four foreigners on per team. So, so the power numbers are down, but what they do, they have all the parks are smaller. So instead of being 330 down the line, it might be 310. Instead of center being 405, it might be like 390. You know, so they, 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 they adjust the game to their size by how they build their stadiums. But the baseball over there is amazing. The discipline they have, the hard work they do. Sometimes they overwork, to be honest. But um, overall, is I had an amazing, amazing experience here because, number one, it's the cleanest and safest place I've ever been in my life. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, I could tell you stories and maybe if you had me on another time, I can tell you stories about Japan that, that just blow your mind. I mean, I, I wish, I wish people in America Absolutely. could go there and just, and feel that culture because it's just, you're talking night and day. You know, when you, you walk down the streets in America, sometimes you, you never feel safe. You can walk down to that. It could be two o'clock in the morning and you can have, you can be throwing hundred dollar bills out off your hands and somebody's going to go pick them up and bring them back and give them to you. I mean, it's just, but, but I loved it there. I only had one year because my mom was kind of shot when I went over there, but I went over there for the, because I just, I wanted to experience and I wish I could have had a couple more years, but I didn't, but it was amazing. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I think that is a great way to wrap things up. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been episode 18 with Scott Sanders, former major league pitcher. Scott, I'm going to let you go. I know you got some family obligations and stuff to handle today and we got about 15 seconds left. I I cannot thank you enough for coming on my podcast and we'll have you on again in the future. Take care. Thanks for having me anytime. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. Bye-bye. That was Scott Sanders, former Major League Baseball pitcher. Stay tuned. This is episode, this is the first episode we have that I am putting out today. I have another three or four more to come, including a top employee is going to be my next guest on the podcast, and we are going to talk about what it's like working for the biggest card company in America and what it's like to have your own baseball card. This has been episode 18 of the show about the show. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.